The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south and the transcendent power of love touches earth in the humility of Christ here and now where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our congregation here at Marsh Chapel for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and your material support, your written and emailed responses, your decisions, self-selections of forms of service in our midst, and as the spirit moves, your presence with us here come Sunday. Today we announce a word of hope, when he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. As we are able, may we rise in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Grant, O merciful God, that your church being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We come August in this nave, are close to the end of our full wedding season. Oh, we officiate, we solemnize weddings all year long, but June and July and August, these Saturdays are full celebrations in this nave. As every worship service is, the sacramental rite of marriage, holy matrimony, is a dress rehearsal for the kingdom of heaven. And so bride and groom and attendants are so attired, preparing to be together. Sometimes the groom or bride will request a verse that we used yesterday. I commend it to you for your living this week. Paul writes in Colossians, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. As we receive God's pardon and peace and listen to our traditional Kyrie, may we be mindful of our capacity as well to forgive. Let us pray. But for the grace of God, we would not be, and but for the grace of God, we could not love, and but for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, his, of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me 
to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading Psalm 84 with the Antiphon. your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. 
As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. as you are able for the singing of our Gloria Patri, the reading of our gospel, and the singing of our hymn. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. Glory to you, O Lord. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe, and who was the one that would betray him? And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. It is the spirit that giveth life, the flesh is of no avail. The words spoken are spirit and life. Jan and I stood alongside our burial plots last Wednesday afternoon. I trust it will be many decades before we need to use them. Our post-retirement home is nestled in a long-forgotten old village cemetery in Eaton, New York. Eaton is the northern tip of Appalachia, economically, culturally, geographically, and historically. Its rural poverty has come rather lately to its 250-year history, but is as harsh and weather-beaten as any such rural immiseration across the country. Its country culture receives some odd jostling from Colgate University and Hamilton College, both a very few miles away. Its spot on the edge of the great cliff of the Allegheny Plateau places it at 1,200 feet above sea level, with lakes and great lakes 1,200 feet below within a 30-minute drive. Its history includes nearby Peterborough, a town built in the 1850s by Garrett Smith for freed slaves some of whose descendants live there still. And the Oneida community, nearly next door, whose 300 perfectionists lived ostensibly without sin and within complex marriage for 30 years, 1845-1875. And down below at sea level, the shores of Gitche the shining big sea water, near the wigwam of Nokomis, daughter of the moon, the homeland of Hiawatha, 1,200 feet down north. Our burial neighbors will include some born before the Revolution, some several who died in or served in the Civil War, many veterans of the conflicts of the 20th century, and one fellow who was interred in 1962, but in whose youth fought with Teddy Roosevelt in the Spanish-American War. One wonders about the ongoing work of mowing and trimming and more so about the volunteer leadership needed to keep managed a venerable small graveyard. We were told that there had been no burials this calendar year to date. There they bury until November 1st and then after May 1st or as soon as the ground thaws in the spring. Jan said that she liked the spot. I volunteered that this was good since we would be there for a while. Actually, though we should call on the economists here, when you amortize $400 per plot over the course of eternity, the cost is really very little. 400 divided by infinity, that's very reasonable. The rent may be too high across the country generally, but not in the Eaton Village Cemetery. Of course, I had sometimes mused about having a bit more upscale social location going forward, maybe something on the East Coast, Chatham or Castine or the Cape or Northampton, something with an ocean view and East Coast standards of comportment and attire and presentation. Jan reminded me that I am a Methodist preacher, a country preacher at that, and can ill afford such ostentation neither fiscally nor spiritually. Besides, she rightly counseled, see all the beauty here. Yes, see it and hear it. Thank you, choir. Beauty is heard as well as seen. We jog past this place so I know what the music of that meadow brings day by day. The rooster or more than one as dawn comes. The cattle feed away lowing as cattle do the wind in the evergreens and the two mighty oak trees, an occasional auto or truck or even more occasional airplane, visitors with crosses, flags, flowers, and tears. And then the sound of nothing. Silence. Hush. Hush. Somebody's calling my name. Hush. Hush. Somebody's calling my name. In the deep winter, the deep silence must be thunderous. 
I think of the four months of real winter and the covering, the bedcloth of four feet of snow, and it is well with my soul. Let me reveal that I begin this way for a discreet homiletical purpose. I preach as a dying man to dying men, as Luther counseled more so. Our series of summer sermons this year has addressed hope in the face of death. Apocalyptic language and imagery in the New Testament is a language of hope in the face of death. The cosmic resurrection of Christ and the life he offers is a word of hope spoken into the teeth of cosmic, universal, personal, and individual death. All of our sermons this summer have been very human attempts to announce this unseen hope, embedded, deeply embedded, in the New Testament apocalyptic language and imagery. You know, sometimes at our worst, we move through life with the supposition that death comes to others, other people, other peoples, not something that befalls us, but others. This very human daily supposition is not limited to young adults, to this new wave of temporarily immortal 18-year-olds soon to wash up upon the BU beach. Nor is it limited to distracted, over-technologized, middle-aged parents trying to keep a household afloat amid the great recession of our era. Nor is it limited to the mature or the very mature, we who should probably know better with our flecks of gray hair. Time flies, ah no, time stays, we go. A pastoral digression, I assign you an exercise for this week or some week. It is patented informally by me, but I give it to you like the gospel itself, free of charge. It is the Robert Allen Hill oops formula for preparation for post-retirement. O, write your obituary, at least a first draft which others can redact as needed. O, compose your funeral order of worship with hymns and texts and participants and memorials. P, select a photograph you do not mind being used in days of grieving in the newspaper or in the funeral home. S, locate your last location, your place and manner of burial or cremation, and place these materials in the same box or safe deposit box in which you already, already have placed your DNR your living will, your will, you may choose to remember Marsh Chapel in your will, by the way, if you like, and any other significant materials. How your family will thank you, but as you are mortally aware, all of this preparation, good as it is, is not good enough, not enough. For all this preparation lacks the main thing needed in the face of death, in the face of the power of death William Stringfellow so ardently and artfully described. At the end, at the grave as well. What matters at last at death is hope. Hope. The best thing about apocalyptic, about apocalypse then, is hope. If someone asks you in the grocery store what you heard this summer at Marsh or from Marsh, you could say, well, I mean, I think they preached on the theme of apocalypse then, and I heard a word of hope. Which brings us to the conclusion, the end, if you will, of this summer's Marsh Chapel National Preacher Series on the theme Apocalypse Then. I am personally and deeply grateful to my colleagues here at the Boston University School of Theology for their leadership, voice, and presence in this pulpit this summer. They gave us two summer Sundays. They gave hours of preparation. They gave the best of their hearts and minds, and they gave a willingness to treat the hardest material with the finest of skill. Their very physical presence brought us hope. It happens that we together, the preachers, all share an interest in New Testament apocalyptic. And with you, I thank Dr. Jennifer Knust, Dr. James Walters, Brother Larry Whitney, and Dr. J J David Jacobson for their preaching with me this summer. So what have we learned? 
Apocalyptic theology in the New Testament is a language of hope lifted in the face of death. At least, this is how I would conclude and summarize our announcement of the gospel this summer. Apocalyptic followed the prophetic hope for justice on earth and preceded the late platonic hope for life in heaven, building on the former and preparing the way for the latter. And we need them all, all three and many more. The prophets hoped for a righteous earth, the Gnostics hoped for a glorious heaven, the apocalyptic hope in the face of death is hope on earth as it is in heaven. A hope for the apocalypse of heaven on earth, or as Paul wrote, hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, the first Sunday we recognize the delay of the parousia, the failure of the primitive apocalyptic hope of the earliest church, and its origins of Jewish apocalyptic. We saw how this material is often consolation literature developed among those outcast, downtrodden, forgotten, the least, the last, the lost. Apocalyptic gives voice to the hopes of the disinherited, and we hold and fiercely preach them here. We are not free, we said, to project our anxieties about the dilemmas of the current age, an age, by the way, that was supposed to have seen the end of history, out onto some far-off falsehood like the raptures of fancy fiction or facsimile in order to avoid what we, of course, have to do in every other sphere of life. Take responsibility, negotiate, compromise, discuss, trade, and muddle through. Most especially places like ours, Marsh Chapel, with a rich heritage of hope, must also expect of ourselves a rich offering to the future that comports with our inheritance. To whom much is given, from him much is expected. And we are not free, not free, to neglect a common hope. Here is our freedom. Pray daily for the hope of the world. Think creatively about the hope of the world. Act specifically week by week in communion with a reliable hope because to some degree, the future is up to you. The second Sunday we saw in the very word revelation, which is rendered apocalypse, the inbreaking of God's love on earth, as Paul said when he received the gospel, Galatians 1, by apocalypse. Apocalyptic gives voice to the hope of faith in the face of all manner of death. You, Marsh Chapel, and every living, vibrant congregation are a beachhead in the invasion of God's new creation, heaven on earth. The third Sunday, we saw again how communal and common the ancient eschatological material was in its casting and framework. Apocalyptic gives voice to the voiceless, those left out by the reigning regime, including those left out of decent health care in our time, those unfortunate enough, that is, to live in a state other than Massachusetts. We heard, we said, yes, there will be bad news, there is no pretending otherwise, but do we really need to hurry it along? Why not be the harbingers of hope and allies of health and people who wish well, well for others? The fourth Sunday, we were treated to a careful interpretation of the beheading of John the Baptist, its apocalyptic foreground and background, its history and theology, and its comparisons to contemporary common family dysfunctions. The horizon of hope remains, the hope of blueberry pies cooked and enjoyed against a better series of familial arrangements than currently we experience. The fifth Sunday, we were taught again about the profound pessimism out of which apocalyptic grew, the despair at seeing anything finally righted or right-wised in this crooked world, and the shout of anger and courage faith kindles in such darkness. Hope has two beautiful daughters, said St. Augustine, anger and courage. Apocalyptic gives voice to the anger and courage present in those who despair, in those, including those injured by handguns in this country and those willing to question the pervasive, dangerous presence of guns, 300 million in our land. 
The sixth Sunday, we were shown the emergence of Paul's apocalyptic gospel and the centrality of his apocalyptic hope for the rest of his work, especially that found in his magnum opus, the Epistle to the Romans. Apocalyptic gives voice in the face of death to the power of God's overcoming grace. Resurrection is resurrection from the dead. The seventh Sunday, we explored the horizons of endings and beginnings and how the apocalyptic worldview both aids and distorts our contemporary vistas. Apocalyptic gives voice to thinking about and working toward the betterment of environment, nuclear energy and weaponry, choices and decisions in the global community. The eighth Sunday, we were reminded of the crucial influence across the New Testament of apocalyptic, which one scholar called rightly the mother of Christian theology. It's not nice, we were reminded, to neglect mother, and so we determined. Apocalyptic gives voice to honesty about real evil in real time, from the Holocaust to Rwanda and everything in between. Mark's Jesus, we said, offers the beginning of his apocalyptic gospel. It is a song in the darkness. Yet amid the darkness, Mark's gospel speaks a promise of dawning light. The ninth Sunday, we listened for the gospel in the hour of Jesus' crucifixion, the dark hour in which the light of God's presence somehow continues to shine. Mark's gospel, we said, of an apocalyptic cross is therefore not just an orientation to a past, but a costly opening of the future, the new age that draws us in our lives forward, even even in death's deepest shadows. Beloved, we have both the freedom and the responsibility at Marsh Chapel, now this 10th Sunday, to ring the bells of learning and piety, of mind and heart together, in a way that will inspire and guide another generation by the best insights of the faith we share. We have aimed high and stretched out these summer Sundays over six years, One year, we preached on new dimensions in ministry, another on leadership in the church, another on Darwin and faith, another on worship and preaching, another on church renewal, and this summer, Apocalypse Then. You will find these sermons published in our annual e-magazine, Motives, located on our website. While there are only a very few university pulpits remaining across this country, Your support, your radio support, your generosity from near and far, the ongoing support of Boston University, and the hard labor of my staff and colleagues and guests here continue to allow us to treat hard topics with tough love. Apocalyptic is a song of hope, a hope of heaven on earth. It is a divine hope. It asks of us a certain height, a certain inclination, a change. It moves your soul, yourself, your center. It moves our being, Sunday by Sunday, closer to our own most self. It moves us out to a lastingly green pasture, a great snow-covered meadow of hope. In the year of my birth, 1954, Howard Thurman, then in his first year as Marsh Chapel Dean, gave lectures at what was to become my alma mater, Ohio Wesleyan. These latter were collected in a book, The Creative Encounter. With his minimal Christology, tangential connection to Paul, perennialist inclination against narrow religion, and distrust of large portions of the biblical tradition, Thurman would at first seem an unlikely interpreter of apocalyptic material. Yet his typically digressive, imaginative reflections, that 1954 winter's Merrick lectures at Ohio Wesleyan, at one point touched the very marrow of our theme this summer. Thurman is trying to explain religious experience. I wonder if you have had such. 
Its measure for him is not unlike the apocalyptic hope lifted this summer, said he. There is a point at which for the individual, the surrender of the self in religious experience gives to life a purpose that extends beyond one's own private ends and personal risks. What happens when there is a new center for the focus of life? The answer is in part the following. At such a time as the new center becomes operative, the individual relaxes his hold upon himself as expressed in the self-regarding impulse. A different kind of value is placed upon his physical existence. The power of death over the individual life is broken and the individual operates from a new center with all that is derived therefrom. The expression is the alteration of his private life growing out of a new value content. God has become the custodian of his conscience. God has become the custodian of his conscience. And this center of loyalty allows meaning for the personality, a shift from some primary social group loyalty to a loyalty to the command of God. I wonder... Are you sensing the divine generosity inviting your one life to circle around a new center? Some prayer will guide you. Even a little bit of challenge and suffering may prod you. A moment in worship may lift you up. A friend, a word, a kindness, a note, a sunset, a kiss, a laugh. These are intimations of religious experience that are not at all religious, but they are real. Real they are. I wonder, is your center shifting? My dear, beloved friends, community, congregation, and Marsh chapter, I believe in a way that I cannot understand in full or articulate in full that God's love outlasts death, that God's love is stronger than death, that God's love overcomes death. But it is not something that I see. It is something that I sense, though I cannot see it. But who hopes for what he sees? We hope for what we do not see, and we wait for it with patience. Amen. Our call to prayer comes from the Apostle Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You are welcome to pray standing, sitting, kneeling, or however the Spirit moves you. Now let us sing together the hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord.
Father in heaven, we come before you with prayers of praise, thanksgiving, repentance, and request. We ask the Holy Spirit to enter our hearts so that we may ask according to your will. Give ear to us and hear our prayers. We offer prayers of praise, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no other God like you in the heaven above or on earth below. You are our loving God and our fortress, our stronghold and our deliverer, our shield in whom we take refuge. We lift up your holy name, offering our praise to you, almighty God. We offer prayers of thanksgiving, loving Father. We thank you for the guest preachers we have heard this summer. Continue to bless them as they preach the, the word. You have blessed us beyond measure. For your enduring love and power of redemption, we give you thanks. We offer prayers of repentance, merciful God. We bow before you with sin-sick souls. We know that the good we ought to do, and yet we don't do it. We confess these sins and ask you, faithful and just God, to forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to live according to your will, loving and forgiving one another. We offer prayers of request, God, our helper and healer. We are in need of your healing power. Heal our hearts, minds, and bodies. Grant us peace. We pray for the people of Haiti and Cuba and all who are in the wake or path of the storms. Give them comfort and safety. Walk beside us and help us to stay on course in our Christian journey. We hold onto your unchanging hands so that we can guard against spiritual temptation, stand firm in the faith, and be bold and steadfast Christians. Help us to live in the most excellent way, with love. O oh Lord our God, hear our prayer that we, your servants, are praying in your presence today. We offer these prayers in the name of the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now as a community of faith, we join voices to pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you here once again in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and we are, offer a special welcome this morning, a welcome back to our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, and his gracing us with the word this morning. We hope you will take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass that along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. 
We would note that our fall study groups will be beginning on Sunday, September 9th. That's two Sundays from now. Our Sunday morning group at 9.45 a.m. will be reading Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath, over the course of the term. And our Sunday afternoon Bible study, led by uh, the Reverend Dr. Mark Yoon, uh, university chaplain for evangelical students, will take place uh, in the Thurman Room at 12.30 p.m. following the service. All of our upcoming services and activities will be made available in our term book, which will be out next week, and we hope you will be here to receive your print copy or to download it from the chapel website forthwith. Also on the chapel website, bu.edu slash chapel, you can find the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for our offertory this morning, we encourage you to meditate on the words of Psalm 100 set by Benjamin Britten as Jubilate Deo in the key of C major. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Christ, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen. of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>